0: Bell of Friday and to those that might be thinking hmm that doesn't sound like a Wallace and June. Uh, this is not Chicago or Toto. Hang on, this isn't the great pizza terror. Well I'm away next week looking after little Wallace Jr. So your host for next week chose it, Guyan Espina, uh, And you know Guyan, uh, I wasn't expecting a lot from you. Um, <laughs> but you. this is great.
1: This is a really, I love it. Yeah. yeah, there was a bit of air guitar, and, and I yeah. was grabbing the mic in the studio here as this is going down. But this is the Chris Cornell version of yeah. the Guns N' Roses. I actually, to, um, to my shame, do like the Guns N' Roses version of, of Patience as well. But this, the bonus is this one, you get the song without the whistling. Yeah. You know the whistling solo at the front? No. So this is a, um, there's always a Soundgarden fan, so Chris Cornell, died. All, my, all my power
2: going. ballad education has been. From through oh, the show from the and from the panel, and it has the all the ingredients that is needed, like a build-up and the lyrics. And then the, and it builds and builds, and the hate that uh, Wallace gets <laughs> afterwards—it's all—it's—it's it's all in the package. Oh, yes. Now, that gentlemen, is, can I ask yeah. you
3: a question about the power ballad? What Please. about women singing power ballads? I mean, I—I don't think I've heard Pat Benatar. I don't think I've heard. In fact, I don't think I've bonny heard a, a woman no, yeah. singing.
0: Power, yeah, yeah, exactly. You? Gone. We did it. We did a Bonnie Tyler. Uh, okay, good, we, good. We did a, right. um, Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. Whoever sang that. Oh, that's that, Glinda Carlisle. Thank you. I think last yeah. time
2: I was on, there was a, um, a,
0: a woman singing. Yeah. yeah, but you are absolutely right. The, ra- the ratio hasn't mm-hmm. been as good as it could be. So, Hit yeah, me with your best you. shot. That's my request. Oh, I love it. All right. That's in less than two weeks' time. I will do it. Yeah. Now, a um, bit of response to the name suppression. Uh, Vicky says Look, if I were a regular tradesperson, I could lose my whole business because of my crime without name suppression. People would know, even without me being famous and not rich enough to fight it, it is unfair. Uh, another one here. Uh, yeah, yeah, before the trial, fair enough. We get it. But after the conviction, Paul, the panel beater, who relies on his reputation to get work in his community, community is going to be reported locally, whereas Tommy, with the big bucks, or sport, by silence. It's important in some cases, but overused. So thank you very much for your responses this afternoon. Well, this week it was revealed that Sir James Wallace was the... Uh, In commas, prominent businessman convicted of three counts of indecent assault following two years of name suppression. Wallace was one of the New Zealand arts sector's most notable philanthropists, a founding patron of the Auckland Theatre Company, NZ Opera, New Zealand Ballet, to name a few. And while Wallace's public naming has come as a relief to those in the arts community, it does leave a financial hole in the sector With us is Word Christchurch Executive Director, Steph Walker, has been Auckland Arts Festival's Head of Programming, amongst other things. Steph, kia ora. kia ora. Wallace. How
4: are you?
0: Very, very well. And looking just at what he funded, it was quite extraordinary up and down the motu. Um, what, what do you make of this uh, scenario, this case, first up? Oh, gosh. Well,
5: um,
4: like many people have said, it's kind of the worst was kept secret in the arts. Everyone kind of knew who it was and um, uh, lots of people have have tales to tell around um, um, James Wallace being around the place. Um, It's interesting because it's kind of symptomatic of where arts funding is in the country that we, many people, and and not just arts organisations, but also independent companies and independent artists, almost lied on the Wallace Arts Trust um, to fund their work or um, to put money up for match funding that then um, local or central government will come in to to help fund as well. And, you know, philanthropy doesn't always have the same intentions of, mm. as um, local and central government do. Um, and I guess this is a, a darker side of the philanthropic intentions,
0: perhaps. Yeah, uh, and this comes at a time too, doesn't it, when there's been uh, a focus on arts funding, you don't uh, have to scratch too far to see that a lot of companies are really, really uh, cash strapped. They'll need all the philanthropists they can get.
4: Oh, a hundred percent. You know, a lot of companies, much like any companies, and and um, the nation, you know, um, we were very much hit by COVID. Um, Yes, there were um there was government support there, but you know, any reserves that an arts company had surely took a hit over the last sort of three years. So more than ever we're we're looking for how we can um get in philanthropy money, how we can get in sponsorship money, but that horrible R word that's around recession um is definitely not helping that. So if we can find ways to grow arts funding, um in New Zealand that that would be you know, that would be
1: the best-case scenario, really, for us to to keep our art yeah. companies and our artists thriving. Steph Guy and he's are here. Um, I, there've been some news stories um, already about some artists who want their work pulled from Wallace Collections. I mean, he's got such phenomenal uh, collections of art around Tamaki Makaurau. Do, do you think that that is going to uh, accelerate and we're going to see people try to w- withdraw their work? I mean, what do you think the implications are going to be? Uh,
4: I, absolutely, but I'm really intrigued in that going because I believe the Arts Trust, the Wallace Arts Trust, purchased those works. So, I, and I'm not a visual arts expert, so I, I don't know about this. But what what they can actually say can be done with the work, or can't done, can't be done with the work, whether it can be displayed or not, I, I don't know where that sits.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, Ellie. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually, because I know that there's a lot of lot of work at the par, isn't there? Which I think, mm-hmm. has I mean, been if you funded... look at
1: the Sackler family, right, um, with with the OxyContin scandal,
0: Empire of Pain.
3: Yeah. It's an amazing book.
1: It's a great book, and, and the story is incredible. But the the Sackler family, who were um, the, the business people behind Purdue Pharma, who went on to to sell this uh, this drug, and lots of people lost their lives. You, you found like the the Met and uh, the London galleries and big naming people, rights pull, pull, pulling their names off. Yeah. I'm just wondering, I mean you can't compare the cases obviously but when a prominent collector or philanthropist is um, disgraced mm. which this is the case, um, here yeah, what are the implications?
4: Well it's interesting because if you look at how a lot of uh, arts organisations are funded or even Creative New Zealand is funded, it's um, through lotteries money uh, and it's through a lot of gaming trusts funding applications um so it's you know, where do you start? Where do you end with legal and moral funding. Yeah.
0: Alright Steph stay there let's bring Ali Jones in.
3: Well I have a question around it was really interesting you said Steph you know we need to look at ways or we need to find how we can increase the money that's available I'm paraphrasing what you said to, you know, to, to the creative sector and one of the things I think that could be done is um, we need to see our art and artists more. I'm truly depressed by the lack of uh, investment as far as coverage profile of who we have in New Zealand, what we do in New Zealand our artists. I don't think there's one arts programme on television anymore RNZ does mm-hmm. uh, you know, a reasonable job but again I think it's just the one programme on the Sunday and I just think if we see our artists if we see our symphony orchestras I saw the Auckland Symphony Orchestra at, um, at the last night of the proms last weekend, wow amazing talent, the CSO here in Christchurch is amazing, so my question for you is if we saw it more, a bit like rugby or a sport right, if we oh, see it right. then the investors and the money's there do you think that would help I, oh, a hundred percent. You know, where the
4: arts are really not visible. I was reflecting on this, thinking, oh, this must be the most arts coverage we've had in a while. But it's not the right. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, we we might hear about Taika or, or things mm-hmm. like that, but we don't. See the people behind that coming through, who are frankly amazing. We've got world-class
0: performers yes. Gosh, I can yeah. recall like, um, shows like Kaleidoscope and Backchat, yeah. You know, big hour-long shows, right? Edamon. yeah, big artists like Edamon. And um, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, question Thanks, was, my
2: question was, my um, question was, now uh, it's one of those situations, and where his his his, um, his patronage was everywhere. Um, from different organizations different um artistic endeavors have you had chats with the artists and people in 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 the industry how how are they how are they feeling because it's 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 a big shock um that comes with this type of revelation uh, you know what,
4: i i would that there's many people that wasn't a shock to because right. people knew what was happening mm-hmm. and it was um, a desperation or a commitment to try and get me in to, to make a project happen, whether that's a small or a giant building and people just kind of sucked it up and went there mm. and it's fantastic that you know now we're we're going oh, hang on, this wasn't the right way to go about things and Just about everyone is implicit in this through the whole arts industry really.
0: Nice to have you on, Steph Kia ora Thank you very much for uh, your time today. That's uh, Steph Walker there, who is the uh, executive director of Word Christchurch, also uh, very prominent in the uh, arts sector uh, across years. It's fifteen to five. The panel are NZ national. If you've just tuned in, you go, oh, "What the hell is Guy Nesbitt doing here?" Uh, he is. Um, uh, <laughs> There's co- I, I hear that quite a lot he around this building. Actually. <laughs> he
1: got lost. Yeah, yeah I'm hey I'm like the seal and Papa. I tell you what, actually, I get
0: a. Uh, <laughs> I get a lot of hate mail post power ballad. Um, mm. uh, How How's it looking for me? Well, uh... well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to to read one nice email because I really do it. it. My two favourite RNZ presenters reunited on the panel. What a great way to end the week. Are you just saying that to me back
1: next week, Wallace? <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to have to cancel your holiday. I need eh? a break,
0: Guyan. <laughs> you're, you're here. Um, it's 15 to 5. Um, one thing I do want to come back to, uh, because of all the stories that we had uh, this week, there has been, I guess it was about social history, there was an extraordinary outpouring of your stories about the time that you were strapped or caned. Uh, it was quite something. I threw it out to you and some were able to look back and laugh for others that brought up quite traumatic memories. So we thought we'd return to the topic today and we've asked uh, one listener, Martin, to join us to tell his tale. He's now a teacher in Tamaki Makaurau. He's with us. Kia ora, Martin.
6: Hello. Hello. Um, Hello everyone. Hello, wireless. It's great Hi, to have you on,
0: Martin. And uh, you must have heard, obviously, the the section we did on caning. I didn't realise we'd we'd get so many responses, but there were some real stories there weren't there?
6: I think the thing for me is that it was the routineness of it. That was uh, it was the norm. And my experience as a student is in England, so it's not a New Zealand experience. But I have taught. I'm no longer a teacher, but I have taught in New Zealand, and. There's another whole experience to do with when it was um, given up and what the rationale for that was.
0: What was your experience?
6: Well, when I was a a pupil back in England, um, there was somebody being got the ruler or uh, a slipper, the sandals we used to wear or being pulled aside to be caned. It was just normal behavior.
0: Were you strapped
1: or caned, Guy Well, I was, must have been on the cusp of this. It was probably yeah. going out of fashion um, in the in the seventies. I'm a Gen Xer, so seventies um, into the eighties at school. But I, I do remember I was at Kashmir High School. We used to go to manual training. The boys used to go to manual training. The girls mm-hmm. used to do home economics. It was just the way it was. And so you'd get you'd get the you get the bash down there at manual training because the guy, the guy would would, would uh, he'd, he'd take various um, implements from the metalwork program and and uh, use them. Mm. And 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 give you a hiding, yeah. Seriously, it's, I mean, it's, it's incredible. Crazy. And um, so you know, he, he, I still remember him. Um, you know, I won't give too much more away yeah. because he might be kicking around there somewhere now. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it, it, it's pretty 60, recent it, history,
0: isn't it? Oh yeah. yeah, I mean,
1: it's it's phenomenal that 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 we put up with
0: it. Here's one. Uh, Robin says, "I'm 75 now. I was strapped the primary school standards two to four boys were cane, girls strapped." Corporal punishment was uh, the order of the day. Stay there, Martin. Allie Jones. Sorry, did you just say boys were caned and
3: girls were strapped?
0: It's Robin from says that yes. One? Yeah. Well, because
3: mm. I was just going to say, I mean, I was at school the same time as as Guyon actually, and I um, girls weren't uh, physically uh, abused in in the same well in the same way as the boys were with these canes and straps. But we were given detentions, so I got a lot of those. But yeah. um, we mm. certainly weren't. There was no physical. Um, you won't re- there wasn't physical um, discipline guy on that you can remember for yeah, girls
1: oh not for, girl. no, no, no. I, no, not for girls no no, not for girls no no, but certainly for boys even still in the 70s and 80s oh absolutely it was, it was still, yeah, I remember it was boys they, getting kicked I remember yeah. I remember a guy getting kicked like yeah. quite hard by a teacher yeah. and there was no, you know I mean uh, you're yeah, probably that would be a career ending <laughs> move yeah. nowadays about
2: about. hey Martin stay there we'll come back to you Edamon yes what so, about so, you? F- yeah for me so I, I, I grew up in Pakistan and went to school there so there was uh, a lot of and in um, the different strategies going on. I mean, the, our, we had a strategy for our principal when they used to cane us. Um, it, it was, if you, if you start crying, they will stop. So we were experts in starting crying. And then also there was one teacher who would, what, what they would do is that they will put the two boys in front of each other and ask them to slap each other. Oh, and what? if the slap was not heavy enough, then they will be slapped by the teacher quite a heavy way, and they say, "Now you do it you to saw, the other guy." You saw this. I saw this. I saw this. It used to happen oh, in my class. Sick. Sick. So, so it was uh, it, it was a thing uh, at at my time in school. But now it's it's changing. But I think in in Pakistan still there are some schools who are, which are doing it, but
0: not at the scale right. that I wanted that to I was ask you, Martin, you. because you're a teacher now, or, or, or you were a teacher. For you. For you uh, as a teacher, when you go back and think of those days, and your email was pretty, it was pretty eye-opening, what you were saying, how does it feel to reflect back on this?
6: Well, the biggest change, I think, was, as some of your people have referred to, back in the early 80s, it was in the process of being discontinued at a lot of schools. But the interesting thing is the basis on which it was discontinued. And the principal said, well, we're not beating girls and we need to be fair so it was a, a gender equality issue oh. and that was the basis on which it was discontinued <laughs> for boys because it would be unfair however there was still that idea that if you don't beat the kids you're letting the side down you know and right. the English right. teachers were letting the side down but they weren't beating the kids enough whereas the tech teachers were doing the job
0: A big response. I held the Auckland Grammar Record for caning 35 times in the first year. Finally, Martin, I'm not going to lie, I I must acknowledge those people who've actually uh, texted and said, I got cane, I got strapped, and actually, guess what? It made me the person I am today. What would you say to that?
6: (laughs) Well, you haven't got a parallel life, can you? You say, it didn't do me any harm. Well, (laughs) you don't know who you might have been. But what I would say is I wouldn't say I was traumatised by it, and physical pain doesn't necessarily cause mental trauma. Mm.
0: It's good to have you on. Martin, kia Thank you for your time. That's uh, Martin, teacher. He attended school in England. But, uh, yeah, it's quite interesting, isn't it? uh, Mine was in the 90s. It's Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Wallace, I totally disagree with your panel's comments that the girls were not caned. I went to Windy Ridge Primary School in Auckland in the 70s, and I was caned by the principal, says Michelle. Mike says, I got the ruler from my primary principal in 1982 when I was seven for being gay. I'm not gay. Uh, says mike but it's um
3: well, look, we even say "spare the rod, spoil the child," or well, we did, didn't yeah. we? So it was even a part of the, the culture then. Right. I'm surprised that it was discontinued because it wasn't considered. Um, you know, it was an issue with gender equality. I thought it was to do with assault. I thought there was discussion going on at that time. I seem to recall that that this physical assault stuff was starting to come in. But again, I'm, I might be wrong. Listening to what 1989
0: I'm listening. Nine, Education Act. That's when it ended. Uh, it's eight away from five. The panel RNZ uh, National. I am away from next Week looking after uh, little junior Guy and Espina in for the week next week on the panel. And to this, finally, a fascinating article appeared in the New York Times recently as we head into the school holidays. And I wanted to run by the panel. It concerns kids and boredom, something parents nowadays seem to fear. And the article goes that kids should be a little bit bored from time to time. With us is Sarah uh, Iono, CEO and director of Longworth education. Dr. Iona, welcome.
5: Hello, Wallace. How are you? Hello, panellists.
0: Great to have Hello. you on. It, it sort of resonated with me because we, as parents, we even succumb to this. Keep little junior busy mm. <laughs> at all times. He must be creative. He must be productive. That type of thing. Yeah. But actually, a bit of old school boredom. What do you think?
5: Well, if your goal is to have children be creative and um, be productive, then actually we know from the neuroscience now that boredom is our brain's way of developing creativity and we know that it actually helps children develop skills that lead to good productivity. So we need to actually let them have, I guess, that downtime. It's our brain's way for looking for new learning. And so we have to have that sort of conceptual time to be able to get into a space where we can think Hmm. of new ideas.
0: Do you buy that guy? And I was really interested in this because I'm going through this now and I can recall being really bored in the 70s. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it was New Zealand in the seventies. I mean, you know, <laughs> like really bored. Yeah, yeah. Sort of one and a half television channels and yeah. and um, at a radio station and a couple of books. But um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You wonder how um, the brains of, of of our young people change with how much stimulation they get. I mean. You know, we had a ZX eighty yes. one, I think. Um, yeah. You had To had a tape recorder, and you played. Um, you a, managed to to get your computer games going uh, after a few hours, but just the quality of the high stimulatory environments they get, you, you sort of wonder mm. uh, what impacts that has when they they're just trying to filter around for something to Constantly. do. Constantly,
5: Sarah. Mm, yeah, and I, I mean, I think there's a, a huge debate here around screen time and access to screens and the stimulus that happen for a lot of our kids now that I know we didn't have as kids. Um, I think it's really important to recognise that we, sort of, we have a saying when it comes to toys or stimulus that the more active the toy or the more active the stimulus, the more passive the brain. So if we want our brains to be active, we actually need kids to be interacting things with things that are passive, things that don't tell them how to think or tell them where to look or, or tell them what to do. We, we need the brains to be doing that, not the things. So, you know, the more that children have an opportunity to play with, I mean, we promote playing with junk, playing with broken yeah. bits of equipment, you know, stuff like that where they have to use their imagination to create um, a play experience with, um, then that's actually working with brain um, a lot harder. Ellie, uh, Ellie Jones, yeah, look, I, I yeah, totally agree
3: absolutely totally agree I mean we had a dress-up box for our kids when they were little and they're 20 and 24 now and you know they went and entertained themselves I do think parents and I'm guilty of this as well that parents don't let their kids do this stuff and I'm I'm here this hearing this being said you know like we don't let our kids fail either I heard that from a friend who's a teacher during the week we don't let them fail so they don't have the tools then to be able to pull themselves up and if we don't let them be bored and work out how they can apply critical thinking and get out of that boredom, we're not doing them any favours. Really. Okay, stay
2: there, Sarah. Let's bring in in. So you guys are freaking me out because I'm having a baby in November. So tell me what to do. What am I doing? You <laughs> you're on your own, bro. Here I go.
3: Time or not. you get the manual?
1: You're on your own. There is no man. manual.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. Sarah, <laughs> adv- advice for a, uh, <laughs> a dad-to-be. Dad to be.
5: Yeah, look, um, I think really, well, first of all, absolutely right, there is no manual. Um, I think it's really, boredom isn't a natural state for kids, right? So as a parent, as a teacher, we have to watch and notice and recognise some of the cues that kids are giving us, whether it's at home or at school, so that then really our job is not to do the thinking for kids, but mm-hmm. it's to create the space for them to be able to think safely and to explore, right? So if we're creating an environment at home where it's okay to play, it's okay to be bored, it's okay to fail sometimes, that's all right, um, then kids will be able to take risks more and more to do that and be confident in themselves doing it.
2: And I think um, you've got to yeah. be a role model as well. You you can't have a kid yeah. growing up in front of you but with you being on the phone the whole time.
5: Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, right. yeah. and And really... Um, promote the, uh, a love of trying things out and getting it wrong nice one, Sarah. and knowing it's okay. Good
0: yeah. on you, Sarah Aiono there, CEO of Long With Education Cura. Uh, and that's uh, our show, Guy Nespina. Take it away for next week. All the best. Past going past. <laughs> Very <good>.
2: flying colours.
3: <laughs> flying colours.
0: <laughs>
2: nice Are you going to be
3: updating about the otter or whatever the hell yeah, it is? What well, does yeah, it no, 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 is a seal? It's not an
0: otter. It's, it's, it's a, a seal.
2: seal. It's a seal.
3: Yeah, Did we find out what the name of the otter was? Gin. Jim oh, the Otter that?
0: Okay. that was a big story of the day. You, wasn't can usually, a
1: um, you can usually smell them before you see them I, I used to run around uh, Red Rocks um, In the south coast in Wellington And there uh, used to be quite a lot of uh, seals around there But yeah, you could always, yeah, you smell them first Very
0: Hey, great panel Big thanks to my producer Sally Ward And thank you to Ed Omon, Ali Jones Go on, have a great week next week I'm Wallace Chapman, uh, see you in a week's time Checkpoint with Lisa Owen Is next